honey, I'm home. It's podcast 56. I've escaped. I'm alone on the wiggly sofa. Ricardo is in Cornwall. Rach is in Oz. So it's just me. So I'm going to practice before Phil comes in my southern sayings. So, well, y'all, you're held together with flour paste. I better let him in. Hi, Phil. Hi, Hib. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. <laughs> we had a great time, didn't we? Absolutely brilliant. Knew very little about the deep south of the States before we went there, and it was a very enjoyable revelation. Yep, we did the whole of Tennessee. Well, obviously not the whole, but from east to west, from cotton picking to Smoky Mountains. And we'll hear a bit about that in a little while, because we've got a report from a cotton gin so we'll talk around that in a bit and we've also got coming up on this show one of my heroes Anita Roddick I will have told you previously about WIRE Women in Rural Enterprise well one day they sent through an email saying any small business out there who would like a one-to-one session with Ask an Expert Anita Roddick was to apply and so I did And they emailed back to say that trillions of companies have applied and so they'll have to sift through them to let us know which one is able to go. Or which four, I think. Anyway, sometime later, they let me know that it was us. So please, this punch, the 2nd of November was the day that I met Anita Roddick. So we'll hear a bit about that. But first of all, we've got some feedback. Two customer reviews on iTunes are five star and one is one star. Our first ever one-star review. So I'll read that out first to show Willing. It's from Anonymous, sadly. So hello, Anonymous. And it says, in the wrong category, one star. Not a bad podcast, but listed in the wrong category. This extended advert for a UK mail order company is entertaining, but it is not science or medicine. Well, Anonymous, you are so, so right. We are not science or medicine, but we are actually in the natural science category. And the reason? Well, where else would you like us to go? Because young iTunes, if you're listening, you haven't got a category for us. We'd be happy in gardening, environment, natural environment, whatever. But where do we go? Do you want us in hobbies? Because the thing is, in games and hobbies, it's full of those gaming things that I don't understand. So tell us where to go and we'll go there. Next up, a five-star one. Would you like to read this one, Phil? Can do. And this is from Jake the Half Greek, who I think may be Jake from APT Marketing, who we've been using to help us with the book. So if it is, hello, Jake, and keep up the good work. And here he is. Jake has given us five stars, for which thank you very much, and his comment is entitled, Good Enough for a TV Series. Like having the friendliest, funniest and wisest friends round for coffee time. Think daytime TV style, a comfy sofa and a weekly sprinkling of chat. Ideas, facts and lively debate. Subscribe and enjoy. So if that is the Jake that I know, (laughs) and if it isn't, thank you very much. And the last one's from Dave Back, and he's actually sent me the most wonderful photos, which I'm going to put up on my blog, of robins feeding. And they're actually feeding out of his hand, and it says, they've become tame enough not only to eat from my hand, but from my wives, and then from all our mates when they came round. 
They just couldn't believe it. But his review is five stars, wonderful waffle on wildlife ways. I started listening to this podcast once they'd already produced about 15 or 20. I started at the beginning and listened to at least one each day to catch up. <laughs> I really recommend it. These people make you feel as if you are part of their lives as they chat about the business of conservation and development, the joys of nature, and importantly, snippets of their everyday goings-on. Informative and fun, I make sure I have somewhere quiet and relaxing to sit before I listen to this. If you like gardening, wildlife, or fun people, then sign up. So thank you, Dave, back very much for that. And you will see on my blog next week the best pickies you've ever seen of Robin's feeding. Right up close. And there's Dave's nose too. <laughs> Waffle on wildlife ways sounds like Ricardo to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Just the last one, and it says... Hello, Wigglers. Just a quick hello to say thanks to you all. Came across your podcast last month and now I am hooked. I spend a lot of time travelling, so I just fire up the iPod and listen to your lively chat on all things wild. Journeys are a lot less boring now, bringing the countryside and all things green to my ears. Keep up the good podcasting. David from up north in Carlisle. So thank you, David, for that. And I know what he means because yesterday the train from London was delayed and I missed the connection at Newport. And I had a good four hours solid podcast listening, which was great. I'm glad to hear there's an upside to British Rail's uh, consummate efficiency at running our <laughs> railway system. Uh, I better tell you the story of how I missed the train on the way there then. I arrived 20 minutes early for the train at Hereford train station. I got to the car park and it said I needed £7 coins. Ooh, I hadn't got £7 coins, so I rushed to the station master uh, only to see there was a queue. And so I thought, what will I do? I'll pop across to Morrison's and buy a Coke. I went across to Morrison's, I bought a Coke, I came back with my £7 coins. It's still fine, there's 10 minutes to go. I put them in the machine, the ticket comes out. I get my stuff, I go into the station and you have to give the ticket in to get money back or something for the car park. It's still okay. I give the guy the ticket and he tells me, you do realise that that's going to run out in four hours? And I said, no, I've paid for a day, that's fine. And he said, no, it goes from 12 o'clock at night to 12 o'clock the next night. And I said, no, no, car parks don't do that, it's for 24 hours. No, it wasn't. And so then I needed another £7 coins and I rushed back and I did my best, but it was no good. I heard him say, the train to London Paddington is leaving platform two and is calling up. So it was two hours delay. What a happy soul. Now I've got another email here from Susan Thomas and she says, I really want to listen to your podcast, but just can't get the system to work. You say the download is free, but the link requires me to give payment details to Apple help. Now, I know, dear listener, that you've already subscribed or you've got the podcast in some way, so you know it's free. But if your friends are thinking of subscribing, often they think that that means you need to pay for it. I know when I spoke to Anita Roddick, she said the same thing. Look, subscribe means pay. But it doesn't. So if you're recommending the show to somebody else, please make sure they know that to listen in is completely free. Now we're going to look in to see whether or not you have to give payment details to Apple. 
but we can't believe that's true really. We're going to test it out on a computer that hasn't got iTunes because you definitely, whatever happens, don't have to pay for a podcast. We've never been asked for our payment details on iTunes, so I'm hoping that they haven't done that now. We'll look into it and we will be back. That feller is country smart. One who becomes successful in a city. Pert as a mountain bloomer. And that means as lively as a squirrel. On the subject of squirrels, we had a phone call from Philippa Mitchell. And she said, feeding grey squirrels, you mustn't do it if you've got red squirrels. And we need to put a notice in our catalogue and we need to tell everyone about it. And so I said to her, please, can you come on the show? So next week on Podcast 57, we have Philippa coming on the show. But the real crunchy news is she's coming on the farm phone. The farm phone's being installed on Wednesday and Thursday so that you, dear listener, can leave us messages, you can comment on our podcast, do whatever you do. And on Friday, it's the first farm phone Wiggly Podcast interview. This farm phone, does this mean it's mine? What's for farm phone? <laughs> oh, silly old sausage. Just a minute. Go stick your head in a piggin. <laughs> oh. That's a small wooden bucket or churn. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing, then. Hey, Phil, looks like you washed in a mud puddle and combed your hair with a towel. <laughs> Thank you very much. We went to Tennessee. The highlights, Farmer Phil? Well, it was all highlights. I've got to say that despite dreading the prospect of Graceland's, that was absolutely We've fantastic. And that Graceland, was the reason that uh, Tennessee, Tennessee was selected. But apart from that, travelling around America in a hired car was absolutely great. Come in, Toast. And here comes Toast. Oh, that's, oh, that's good dog for <laughs> shutting the door behind you. <laughs> She's been on a holiday for the evening, so any... Squeaking and excitement is because she's pleased to see her master. Good girl. The Mississippi? The Mississippi was a great experience, as usual with these things. You're told it's a big river, and when you get there, it's about twice the size that you ever think it was. And we had a a ride up the Mississippi in a paddle steamer, which was great. But for me, the most impressive thing were the barges that ply their trade up and down the Mississippi. And these are non-motorised barges. Each one holds, I think, 1,500 tonnes of stone or scrap or whatever commodity you happen to put in it. And they chain them together in a raft of, I think, about 24 and push them with an enormous tug. And these things go up and down the Mississippi at about six mile an hour, depending on whether you're going upstream, which is slower, and downstream is farther. And apparently they take two miles to stop, should they wish to stop. So the uh, moral of the story is don't get in their way. And they were very impressive. And the other impressive statistic about the Mississippi is you can see that the soil either side of the river is the most gorgeous alluvial silt. But apparently if you sink a boat in the Mississippi or anything else, over a period of the next few years it can just sink 75 feet into the mud, which gives you some idea of the depth of soil that they've got there. And a Consequently, particularly Arkansas, which was a little bit west of where we were, is some of the most fertile farmland in America. And we went on then, and you phoned up a farmer friend. (laughs) (laughs) Or a friendly farmer. 
Well, armed with a laptop and Wi-Fi, of course, we could operate on the internet. So we searched out some cotton farmers and row crop farmers who were willing to be contacted and, and got on the phone to them. And we got hold of Tracy Sullivan. and she From worked, the University of Tennessee, uh, so I was going to say, Institute she worked, of Agriculture. And her job description is basically to educate and help farmers make progress in the increasingly difficult world of farming it's not easy over there either prices are going down and costs are going up and her job is to get information to them and to try and help them and so she was ideally placed to ring up a friend of her husband's who was also a farmer and say can we come and see your cotton farm and to go to another friend who ran the local cotton gin where they process the cotton and so we had Tracy showing us around for a day um, which was absolutely fascinating. And she gave us some handy hints of how to deal with the locals because the evening before we'd gone out and asked for a beer in the restaurant, which we felt was reasonably reasonable, and the, the lady said, No. He- Heather was very sad at this point. <laughs> and it turned out that we were in a dry county and so there was no beer. And actually the Jack Daniels distillery is in a dry county, so <laughs> they make it, but you can't actually buy the stuff. And uh, Tracy told us that on a Friday night, that everyone goes to the edge of the county, to the package stores, and gets stocked up with beer to take home. Entirely rude not to, I'd say. <laughs> I gather, actually, it's quite a political issue at the moment. They are debating whether or not to allow alcohol sales within these dry counties, and uh, there's quite a heated debate on the subject. Obviously, Tennessee is part of the American Bible Belt, and there is a healthy religious presence, which is, by the sound of it, largely against allowing alcohol into these dry counties. And then there's the uh, beer-drinking good old boys who would rather like a drink of an evening. So uh, we had quite a lot of fun out of that. So tell us about what we saw. Well, in terms of cotton farming, we went to the gin first which is probably not the right way round in terms of the natural progression, but it did help us understand what we were looking at. And so that the cotton, when it comes from the field, is a fairly raw product. It looks white and fluffy, but it's actually still got the seeds in it. And the the white fluffy bit is the the protection for and the means of carrying the seed, which is in the middle, and the the white cotton grows out of the seed. It does have a flower, actually, doesn't it, before Mm. it makes cotton? And the flower was white for a day and then pink. It's a very attractive-looking plant in many ways. And when the the so-called cotton bowl, B-O-L-L, bursts open and the cotton itself comes out, it looks great. It's gorgeous. I bought one home. And so the gin's purpose is basically to cut off the cotton off the seed. And if the gin is successful, it gets long strands of cotton that are clean of all bits of leaves and other so on and seed, which has got as little cotton left attached to it as possible. And the value of the cotton depends on the length of the fibre, the thickness of the fibre, and its cleanliness. And so those things are really, broadly speaking, how the efficiency of the gin is measured and the price is paid on the result. We were shown round a gin, Zion Gin, in Brownsville, by the president of the company, Wayne Tritt. And he explained how the gins are so competitive in his area that the money that they get is just from the seed. That's right. I mean, he, he was saying that they don't charge anybody for their services. They just take the seed. And if they happen to make more money out of selling the seed for animal feed than it costs them to run the gin, then they'll pay the farmers back a bit. But he said we haven't paid anything back. 
for some time and it, the job is so competitive that the margins sounded pretty slim, really. He said it made a great cow feed, didn't he? Well, it, but it's so fluffy, I think you get it stuck in your mouth. I think it's the fact that cottonseed has got oil in it, hasn't it? It's an oily seed, and by and large, oily seeds make really good animal feed because they've got a high energy content, and you know yourself that cod liver oil and so on, you get a bloom on the animal's coat, and I think that's what he was getting at. But it was fascinating. They have these machines that you hoover the raw cotton into the gin, and then they have these machines which they referred to as saws, which are a selection of high-speed serrated discs that catch the cotton and pull it stroke cut it off the seed and then the seed flies off the top of them all the time and it goes through a succession of these again and again and again being cleaned and generally purified it's a bit like carding wool very similar idea it seemed to me anyway and at the end they then compress it into a, a bale which is wired up with thick wires. And actually, the night before we were there, one of the operators had managed to get his hands inside the wire, which didn't do him a fat lot of good. But, you know, it's all action in there. And then these bales are shrink-wrapped, and they're a specific size and weight by the sound of it, and they have a value about $250, he was saying, for a bale, wasn't it? And then, what happens to it then, Phil? Well, then it sounded as if they packed all this cotton and sent it off to China... Mm. where um, they, they made it into your Wranglers and your Levi's and then they packed them back <laughs> and all the way over to America to um, clothe them good old boys out in the countryside, which seemed a bit sad, really. There was two things that amazed me. First of all, that idea, which obviously happens all over the world and that's the way it is. But secondly, you know, it was almost a single crop county i was very surprised as a farmer i mean as you listeners will know we at blakemere grow a number of different crops and some years some of them are good and some years some of them are bad either in terms of price or yield but in tennessee at any rate last year they they were growing cotton and soya and that seemed to be about it well east tennessee and there was we saw one cattle farm and that was the only cattle farm in the county, and he got some lovely-looking Angus Simmental crosses, but he was the only one. The rest of them were growing cotton. But we saw one or two farmers cultivating late into the evening, and when we asked what they were up to, we were told that because the Chicago wheat future price had gone up lately, which we've noticed in Britain because our price has improved, they're all planting wheat. Yeah. And there was no half measures. They don't consider growing a third wheat, a third cotton and a third soya on the basis that two out of three might be good. They chase the market all the time, which you know, it's something in this country we're sort of almost taught not to do. But it was interesting. And what about the soil? Because I know cotton is one of the highest crops that needs pesticides and insecticides and all that sort of thing. And there didn't seem to be any break from the crop and the whole place was covered in cotton. So is it sustainable? It sounded to me as if they were using soya as the break, and cotton is one of these plants that it seems that it's very susceptible to various insect attacks, and I would imagine that the deep south is quite warm for a lot of the time, so if you do get insects, they can multiply rapidly. And, of course, the insecticide group of chemicals are, by and large, the ones that are most damaging to the environment. But in terms of the soil, oh, my God, it just looked gorgeous. I mean, it was just this alluvial quite light you know it wasn't wasn't a stiff soil and over most of the agricultural area it's obviously very deep but it undulates their fields aren't flat they've got 
creeks and bumps and humps and hollows, which presumably water at some point has, has made, so that in the wintertime there are wet holes in it. And in the summer, when, you, when we were harvesting cotton, the machine is sort of rocking all over the place as you go through these humps and hollows. And interestingly, we think Herefordshire is a wet area. We have perhaps 36, 38 inches of rain a year. They have approaching 50 inches of rain in Tennessee, and yet their wheat yields are limited to perhaps half hours by the drought in the summer, so that it gives you some idea that it's a completely different climate to what we're used to. So without further ado, we'd like to say thank you to Tracy Sullivan from the University of Tennessee. We'd like to say thank you to Wayne Tritt from Zion Gym. And we'd like to say thank you to the farmer who we knew as... Bradley. And the reason we didn't speak to Bradley was that he'd got the most appalling steaming cold and he was ensconced on his cotton picker and said, it's probably the best thing that you don't come into my cab because I'm in a foul state. <laughs> so we communicated with, by radio with him and, and went and had a look at his other picker. Dalgan cotton picker. Dear listener, I have to introduce you to Tracy. Tracy, tell me where you're from. I'm from Brownsville, Tennessee. And you work at the university? For the University of Tennessee. And you've been kind enough to take us round the cotton gym. So we're really looking forward to that. Thank you. So we've come to a cotton gin in South Tennessee. And a cotton gin is where they process the cotton. We just heard from Tracy that they grow, well, just cotton in Tennessee really, don't they? Well, they seem to alternate cotton and soya and that's about it. What are you looking at over there, Mom? Well, looks like something that sucks the cotton up from a pallet. Like a, a massive hoover. Yeah. That, and it's hoovering a massive bale of cotton into the ceiling of a barn. As we'd seen on the cotton fields, the, the picking machines leave these big bales, which are about, I don't know, 20 foot long by about 8 foot tall by about 7 foot wide and they leave them on the headland and by the looks of it they leave them on a metal skid which is then loaded on a lorry and brought to the gin and this hoover unpacks this bale and sucks the raw cotton into the gin where it's processed by what we're going to see in a minute. It can be spun like into your finer, you know, towels and things like that. And the shorter fibers are not as valuable, and they go into mops and, you know. At home, we, virtually all our crops are grown for seed, so that all our wheat, barley, peas and so on are sold on to other farmers. Presumably, cotton has to go through the same so that, that you can add value to this crop if you grow a certified crop of it. Can you produce the seed or do they just... Now Monsanto gets involved because... <laughs> 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 We've done a we podcast can. about Monsanto. <laughs> we pay dearly for the technology that's in that seed and we can't save it. No. And they contract with growers, usually in the Mississippi Delta, to grow seed for production purposes. And so all this seed is, like I said, fed the livestock or something else. But you can't, cotton seed you cannot sell. So you're not allowed to home save seed, okay. even if you pay a roll. No. <laughs> well, Monty and I are now sitting on a cotton picker in the middle of a field 
in Tennessee and we're just about to set off up the rows and the heads are stripping all the white furry cotton buds off the plant and blowing it up into a big cabin behind us it certainly looks a good crop it's even and I suppose from the look of it to me as a non-cotton grower there's a lot of white so that's probably the best sign yes it is These fields are completely different to ours at home in as much that they undulate. They've got sort of dips and hollows and what I imagine in the winter become wet patches which makes it quite hard work driving the machinery. Uh, weather is, is certainly a factor but the fields are still in good shape now. We get much more rain and it starts getting muddy and and you, you wore your wiggly t-shirt in Tennessee, didn't you, Phil? I did. Oh. Very trendy. Absolutely. I, those boys in Hereford, they say they're most trendy. They love them. But someone I know didn't like them at all. Here's Anita Roddick with the Wiggly Wiggler's worst product. Oh, dear. Anita, there's yeah. one product you, you're not so keen on in our catalogue. I know you like loads of them. I like lots of the stuff you do, but I have to say, you've fallen mightily down on your branding of your T-shirts. They remind me of these sort of, like, sacks. You know, anybody wearing them, you know, they are so... Un not that you want to be sexy, but at least you want to have... You want to say something. I mean, they are, they are quite pathetic. I mean, did you... <laughs> It's not funny, it's no, terrible actually, sorry. it's terrible, yeah. and you'd be very serious about this, because yes. you've taken over a good space <laughs> on this one. I mean, not only have you got the shittiest looking colour yes. for a t-shirt, mm. but <laughs> you're wiggly worms for Britain, I mean, where does that, where does that come from? They are organic. That's great, that's good. Can you feed them to the, to the, to the, to the, to the worms? Will they? I'll, I'll recycle them straight yeah, away. And for all you young folk in Hereford, out in the club in our T-shirt, Anita says you're it, not cool. It's just not, it's just, any, any great graphics that goes on the front in terms of where women's breasts are aren't going to work. <laughs> so just, it's cool to put on the back or something. Got anyway, it. Thank right, you. Take care. Now, Anita is going to give us five of her favourite Wiggly products because she's been a customer since the year 2000. And she's going to give them us for our catalogue and write a bit about them. So there are five that she really likes, even though she didn't like the T-shirt. But you'll hear much more from Anita next week, along with Philippa, who's going to talk squirrels. And now it's over to Monty for his Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Underground, the way worms tunnel allows the air to penetrate the soil so the worms get enough oxygen. Thank you, Monty. And if any listener happens to call upon Wiggly Wigglers in the next couple of weeks, you will see a few small signs have appeared at the end of the drive. Phil and I came home from holiday to see, right at the end, a new sign erected saying five miles per hour. Speed limit on my own drive. <laughs> 
So I went into the office and I inquired of our health and safety expert, Jodie, uh, what was she thinking of? And especially because... since she has something of a reputation for travelling around <laughs> at a little more than five miles an hour. Yes, I said they'll arrive at work at nine o'clock and they won't actually get into the office before 25 past. And she said, well, it's health and safety. And I said, don't be ridiculous. It is not health and safety to drive at five miles an hour. And she said, Hev, here is the file. And so she showed me the file of recommendations before the health and safety executive comes from the NFU, thank you very much, and it recommends <laughs> that you travel at five miles an hour. So after a lot of good stick about the subject, we went to the pub to discuss bonfire night because the village holds a bonfire night with fireworks and Jodie was late for the meeting. This never happens. And when I got home, <laughs> there was a 50 mile an hour sign on the drive, <laughs> kindly erected by Anthony. So thank you very much. So this has confused all the lorry drivers. <laughs> they seem to have to go five miles an hour for the first three yards and then can speed up to 50. But I notice now, and this may have some bearing on the number of points that you and I share on our <laughs> respective driving licences, that there's now a speed camera sign <laughs> turned up. And in the office, there's a rumour that a flashing light is going to occur and take your picture. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The only thing that's worrying me is that my father walks faster than five miles an hour <laughs> and he claims not to have any points at all. So will he have his first speeding points for getting done speeding at a walk? Next week, Anita Roddick and Philippa from Save Our Squirrels can't wait. Ricardo should be back here. See you then. Bye from me. <laughs>